You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Fengball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 25 of the Community Pulse. We're talking about inter-team relationships or interdepartmental dynamics. I am PJ, and I'm here with your hosts, Mary and Jason. And we also have a couple of guests today that we'd like you to meet. Meet First is uh, Greg Balmash. Um, Greg, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Greg Bulnash. Uh, I've been an evangelist for Logan with Amazon and Avalara. Right now I write tech docs for AWS. Very cool. And we also have uh, the illustrious Jay Paul Reed with us. Hey, how's it going? It's good. To, thanks for asking me on the show. It's great to be here. And for those that don't know me, we used to do the ship show back in the day. And, and my love is, is uh, release engineering. So I do a lot of that. But also human factors stuff, so which I think we're going to be talking about kind of a thread about that today is what I heard. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, here at the Community Pulse, we really love the human factor. It's kind of what we focus <laughs> on. Um, and the factors about humans. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Indeed. But not human factories. That's weird. <laughs> That's bad. Bad. <laughs> uh, so before we get too far off track, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Jason to kind of get us into the topic. Yeah, cool. And uh, thanks, Greg. Thanks, Paul, for being part of the show. Um, yeah, as we were kind of kicking around ideas for, for this particular episode, we thought that um, based on kind of a recent conversation that Mary and I had and some subsequent kind of social media discussions that took place, uh, that this is a sensitive topic or at least worth uh, diving into. So let me give you a little bit of context of this conversation that Mary and I were having, and then we can kind of go from there. Um, I feel like over the past maybe several weeks, well, actually more like, probably like a month and a half or so, um, I've had a lot of people come to me kind of looking for evangelism jobs, dev relations type of jobs. And I've seen a lot of resumes kind of come across uh, my inbox and, and, you know, helping companies try to find people. And so I've just been doing a little bit of matchmaking, I guess, with, with a lot of um, people in our space. And I've noticed that a majority of the jobs um, are coming from the marketing department. And no problem with that at all, but, but it did just kind of kick up a conversation that Mary and I were having about um, sort of the professional job track of, of dev relations and advocacy and stuff like that, where um, if these roles are part of a marketing team, oftentimes there's not a lot of training and sort of mentorship and the, the I guess, resources needed to sort of pull those people up and, and beyond like you would find in other parts of marketing or really other you know, organizations within the company. So it just got us thinking about what is the real relationship between marketing and, and our, you know, our community and the types of jo jobs that we have out there. And what kind of problem does that um, you know, present when it, term, when, it, when it gets to working with relationships across lots of different um, areas of a company. Mm -hmm. And so I had tweeted out basically an OH uh, just kind of between Mary and I, and I'll read it to you verbatim, but the, the, it said, uh, if DevRel and evangelism were meant to be a marketing role, marketing would be able to train us on how to do our job instead of us coaching them to do theirs. Um, and I'll be honest, like that came straight out of my mouth. That was me who said that. And the reason I said that was because I, I feel pretty strongly that there's a lot of stuff that um, the DevRel community, the evangelism community learns about our industry and learns about the types of language that we should be using and the types of outreach that is actually going to really connect with our people. Um, and those, that type of inf information should flow up into marketing. It shouldn't be pushed down from marketing. 
Um, and there's just a lot of stuff that I think when you, when you talk about a traditional relationship of us rolling up into marketing, there's a lot of initiatives that we're given that we can do very well at, but sometimes our biggest strengths are actually non-marketing related. They're more, they're more relationship bound. And so it just got us really thinking about what is the true relationship between marketing and DevRel and, and what kind of um, ownership some of that has. <clears throat> and it definitely kicked off a little bit of debate on Twitter that thankfully didn't get too, too out of um, sort of control. Um, and I don't know, Mar Mary, you, you know, were right there with me on that whole conversation. You want to kind of jump in here? Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting, it wound up being an interesting conversation, right? Because like you said, there were a couple of people who were like, well, you're saying, you know, and to me as well, like, well, but DevRel can learn from marketing. How dare you say that they can't? And it's like, well, no, they absolutely can and they should, but that should be a, a collaborative relationship. It shouldn't be one, one direction, right? Um, and the thing that I quoted and, and put up there as well was that it's, DevRel is a combination of marketing, engineering, product support, all of those things, plus copywriting, technical writing, public speaking. And so it's difficult to say it fits in any one department when it works with all of them. Because the second that you say they go here, then you automatically take on the persona of everyone else in that team, which kind of segments you into the one, the one area instead of allowing those relationships to build across the board. Um, and Greg, I know you had some opinions on it as well that you shared with me with the, with the DevRel Weekly newsletter. Do you want to talk to some of that? Well, you know, I think this all tracks back to 25 years ago, um, Marketing 101 in college, where basically the professor says pretty much everything should be touched by marketing because marketing is marketing should have input and learn from product. They should learn from sales, from advertising, because marketing is sort of, you know, it is positioning the product. It is uh, getting the right features to make the product attractive to customers, the whole nine yards. And so, you know, I believe that uh, in a modern company, everything gets very segmented. And so we start to believe that these, that marketing doesn't have a place in these different areas while marketing should be having a place in them, but should be respecting them and supporting them. So I think what happens is, is that marketing gets too uh, focused on the funnel. It gets too focused on the funnel, gets too focused on, you know, the clothes, the clicks, these things that it can use to justify its existence and then forgets about all the other things because it's just sort of got that tunnel vision. So when we say we're teaching marketing, it's sort of that marketing is broken. Marketing needs to be, have a, have a bigger vision, but also we need to understand what we can learn from marketing because, you know, as evangelists, one of the big struggles, if you go to like evangelism DevRel conferences, uh, and I'm, I'm going to try and keep this short because I feel like I'm over talking, but just basically one of the big things, one of the big topics every time is how do we justify our existence? Mm -hmm. And marketing has perfected that art. So I really think that we can learn from marketing and marketing can support us in measuring and justifying what we do. Yeah, and I think... Can I ask a question? Sure. Um, when Jason, when you were talking about this, you had a lot of energy around it, which tells me you're passionate about the topic. And as you were speaking about it, and this is a question for all of you because I am I am not a 
uh, developer relations person by trade, but obviously I have a lot of friends who are. Um, and as you were talking about it, I, I kind of um, had this feeling that you could be using the same exact words. And I've certainly gone off, uh, you know, gotten up on the soapbox and, and given this spiel about how um, it always felt like there, and this comes up a lot in DevOps, like the developers are the kings and the business sees the developers as the main person and then release engineering and ops and QA are just line items spending money. And mm -hmm. so there's a, there's a mismatch power dynamic fundamentally in that relationship. Um, and it comes out in all sorts of ways. I mean, this is something the whole DevOps thing is trying to fix. My, my question is, um, do you think that there, like a subtext to this was that, that marketing is sort of like, you know, the, the, the kid that gets all the attention and the love, right? And then DevRel, uh, mm -hmm. is there sa that same power dynamic kind of struggle or issue? Or am I misreading that entirely? I don't, I, I don't know that I'm proclaiming some sort of power struggle. I think it's more for me that, you know, I have a very good relationship with our marketing team at VictorOps, um, but they recognize that, that I'm an, you know, I'm an ally and I'm a, I'm a component of the entire you know, company and I'm here to help and support them how I can. Um, but that when it comes to me being the best version of me, they have very little input into that in terms of here's what you should be doing. Here's how you can be the best at your job. Here's how we can grow your career. Here's, here's, you know, here's how you become the, you know, the next big thing and, and just sort of grow in general. I don't yeah, get I, that. One thing I real quick. Go ahead. I, I just want to be clear. I didn't mean power struggle. I meant power dynamic and the great example, and you probably all maybe have run into this, where it's like marketing asks for money and the business like, here's the money. And DevRel asks for money and they're like, sorry, there's no money. So the thing is, that's not like an obvious thing, but it can come up, bubble up in interesting ways. And that's, that's why I was just trying to no. No, I think if I, if you sensed any frustration, it's all, it's because I, I just, maybe I'm picking up on some misguided uh, attempts to, to really capture some great talent out there and people that gotcha. can really do, do something really good for a company. But I worry that they're going to get put at, in some initiative that they're really just supposed to be driving top of funnel mm -hmm. and, and writing a lot of technical content and you're going to burn those people out and they're not going to want to do yeah. the job anymore. Yeah. But going back to what Paul was just saying, I think that lines up somewhat to what Greg was saying as well, right? Marketing has perfected the, you give us X amount of money. Here's what we've done with it. Here's the ROI on it. We're good to go. Give us more money, right? right. Whereas DevRel, because we struggle so much with that traditional ROI standpoint of like, well, I can totally show you what I did and the long tail impact and how that's gonna help down the road, but the immediate return on investment is difficult. And so if we are placed within marketing, I think most, not all, but most marketing teams these days are solely driven by, like Greg was saying, the click-throughs, the, the conversions, the how many MQLs, how many SQLs, how many, all of these things do we have? And DevRel doesn't fall into those metrics. So marketing has said, cool, here's what we're doing. Here's how we succeed. We get away from some of the, the more generic brand awareness type of things, which used to be a lot of traditional marketing, the relationship building, all of that. But because they've moved away from that, then having DevRel put in the middle of it is putting that piece of marketing back in there when marketing goes, but we don't know how to quantify that. 
So the, the yep. pattern is very similar to like developers write features, features make us money, operations build infrastructure. And if we're not selling infrastructure, that doesn't make us money. So why would we pay for it? Right. And it, and okay. just as a, as a brief kind of funny thing, like somebody asked me this at a conference recently, like, why would we do this? And I was like, well, why do you pay for highways? Right. We pay for highways because it makes, you know, the economy work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so similarly, there's that example, whether it's, it's infrastructure, it's, it's almost this idea of community infrastructure, right? We're building the pathways and the platforms and the foundation to actually cultivate those, you know, commu that community, those interactions, those conversations. Um, but it's really hard to, to define and defend that um, when it's like, it'll, you know, we're going to build this big highway and we're not sure how we're going to, you know, get the ROI yet. Right. Well, I, I also think, I, I think the interesting factor here is there's kind of two things. There's the and Greg mentioned this, there's kind of the startup idea that, and, and I've had this job interview and I've taken this job before, where a venture, a venture capital firm comes in and tells a startup, you need DevRel because it's a thing that we've heard you need. And please put this on your light item list of things to do. Cool. You've got one. Great. Um, check the box. And the box is checked. I, I, I had a job that I literally walked into and they're like, we are so glad you're here. Wonderful through the interview process. Great to get to know you. What exactly is it you do? And I was like, what yeah. the are you talking about um you hired me you should know this right um it's a very bob moment what yeah what was it you'd say you do around here, here. <laughs> if, if i can if i can jump in here the, you know i have had two evangelist jobs and in both of them i have been a solo evangelist i you know it's it's more like the company said we need evangelism let's hire an evangelist and you know uh at at Avalara, at least i had my manager was a former microsoft evangelist and could coach me uh, at Amazon, you know, all these different business units are siloed. And so I was in consumer and I was basically the only evangelist in my org, the only evangelist reporting up through like two levels of VPs. Um, and one of the things my manager was saying is, you know, we don't know how to calibrate you for performance reviews and for promotions. Um, and, you know, Amazon's got a, a great uh, evangelist org in Alexa that Paul Kutzinger built, and they've got a great evangelist org in AWS. But these orgs have grown up sort of in isolation, and a lot of companies or managers or VPs, they, they, they hear, you know, DevRel, they hear evangelism as a buzzword, and they go, that's what we need. They don't know how to use it. They don't know how their product will benefit from it. Mm -hmm. um, there are some products where DevRel really is not a huge part of it because your products are basically a set it and forget it product and you're never going to build community around it Yeah. because a developer is going to work with it once, maybe a few times in their life. Um, and I, th I think it's as much, you know, companies understanding when a dedicated DevRel is going to be important versus, you know, having marketing with uh, an understanding of DevRel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I think it's been one of the interesting things that's come up as I'm finishing my book is like, you know, well, I wish you had more like exact hands-on examples of do X, Y, and Z and it solves these problems. And I'm like, you, you can't, like, it's <laughs> different for every company. I can tell you how to figure out which which form you're looking for. I can tell you how to figure out, you know, who to hire and how to go about that and what the best scenarios are. 
but it's different for every company. And there's some mm -hmm. companies where the role of DevRel is going to be a technical marketing person, right? Because they don't have a technical marketing person. And if that company had technical people on the marketing team and was communicating well with product and was communicating well with engineering, guess what? Not a popular opinion, but they probably wouldn't need DevRel at all. Like, there's some of those things. And I think that brings us back to a lot of what we're talking about today, right? Is how do you, how do you work with those teams? How do you make sure that that communication is there? How do you make sure that those things are in place? But then also what happens to DevRel in some of those scenarios? Because in some of those scenarios, we are the communicators, we are the messengers passing those, that information back and forth. But how do you make sure that you're doing it in a way that there's respect and acknowledgement from the other teams? But also, how do you encourage that to happen without the singular person who is being that messenger? Because otherwise, once that one person's gone, people still don't know how to, how to handle it and what to do. And I think a lot of this stems from the fact that we, we are the worst at defining what it is that we do. Mm -hmm. um, DevRel, I mean, to take just evangelism, in, in my mind at least, is like one part of DevRel, but then there's also like advocacy and and sales advocate and product evangelism and all of these other things that are that are going on and uh you know I, I often joke with people they're like you know how do you explain to me what it is that you do it's like well i can't like what i do is something you can't really understand unless you do what i do and i think until we get to the point where like you can go and and i know this is a terrible example you can go to your grandma and be like graham this is what i do for a living um and make it understandable then we'll see a better definition internally at the companies that we work in where they won't be like, Oh, you're the party person. You go to the party. It's like, no, that's not actually what I do. It's just, I, I um, Jason, Yee, uh, get my sect on Twitter said it, he, he opened a talk this way. And I just thought it was funny. Um, uh, I'm an, a, a developer relations person. So, uh, I write talks and I write docs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm sure he does more than that, but, uh, and you all do more than that, but I thought it was kind of a funny uh, yeah. way to sort of explain it as the, the 30 second elevator pitch. Mm -hmm. And for him, that is what he does, right? Like mm -hmm. that works perfectly within his role at Datadog. For me, that was never what I did, but I did DevRel and I did Dev Advocacy. Mm -hmm. So like, again, you kind of go back to the, like, it depends on every company. It depends on every scenario. It depends on every, right? Well, I was just I was just at a, a conference where I had to explain what my company did. There were more questions about what my company did than the talk that I had given, which was about like big data and analytics. <laughs> and they were like, but but how does it work? Like you have lots of different clients. Like, yes, that's how that's exactly how they all do different things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was bizarre because I was like, well, I'm spending more time explaining what I do for a living than I'm actually explaining the, the interesting technical talk topic that I right. came here to discuss. Right. Yeah. I, I think also there's there's a fact that you have different types of people in DevRel. You have the people who are very good at you know building community and listening and talking and building the relationships, and you know for me that's that's not as good a strength of of mine. You know I'm good at docs and you know like Jason Yee, I'm good at writing docs and giving talks. And after I give a talk, I want to go retreat to a dark place, watch Netflix and eat candy for about 24 hours. <laughs> I don't want to then go to a party where it's loud and, you know, I, I can't hear myself and I'm starting to have a panic attack because I can't understand what people are saying. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's, it's hard to sort of find your niche 
even even there to to you know when you're really good at a couple of things but not good at the whole package you know you start to feel like maybe you're not good at your job so uh, let me jump in here because something you just said greg kind of um flicked another little nerve that i think came up during that first discussion with mary is that you know you just talked about we do very well at giving talks and writing docs and all these things but uh, say for example you know you've been traveling um you know maybe been on the road for a long time and you get back and you realize oh my gosh I have a webinar to deliver and two blog posts and also I got to write these docs and I got to do it by next week because I agreed to this three months ago because it's part of a content calendar that the marketing team asked me to be a part of and agree to and and, and the, where I'm trying to go with this is that so much of what we do is kind of um, last minute changes of you know scheduling or you know we got an opportunity to speak uh, kind of last minute or maybe it's been in the pipeline forever but we just didn't line up our calendar to some other event or some other thing that we've agreed to and suddenly we get spread very very thin and I think that um, you know as, as, as hard as I've burnt out and as hard as I've seen other people burn out like this is something I'm trying really desperately to, to remind people that it's easy to do to bite off more than you can chew and agree to like help marketing even if you're not part of marketing help sales and just do all these things because we're capable of doing it and we do it really well um, but then we just get owned by all these other people's schedules and expectations and it's it's to me it's just a it's a recipe to burn somebody out who really likes to do this job well I think this is this is an important piece like this is also a finely balanced piece because Hey, you know, going back to they, they don't know what expectations we have and what Mary was saying about what ROI we're really delivering because it is such a long tail game. Um, how easy is it in any organization, especially when you're a single evangelist by yourself, to go back and say, no, listen, this blog schedule is not, I'm not capable of keeping up with this. I cannot, you know, speak at two conferences and come back and do a webinar and get you a blog post and finish the docs all by the 30th. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I can't. And, and like, how do you balance that out and, and have the ability to say no without worrying like shit, if I say no too much, they're just going to fire me. Well, and I think part of the hard thing is, you know, the content calendar might be owned by marketing, the uh, sample or the sample application might be owned by engineering, the docs might be owned by product. So each, like you're going to various teams and saying, I can't do this one thing, which normally like, cool, I can't do this one thing. And they're like, great, well, what else is on your plate? Let's shift things around, right? Or like, you can totally spend an extra hour or two because it's only one thing. It's like, well, no, it's actually five things, but you mm -hmm. don't see the other four because it's other other teams. Right. So, and then, and actually, then the other teams also can, can say, well, well, you should do what you're doing for us. Our team is more important right. than team over right. there. Yeah, exactly. Well, so the, and this is exactly what I was saying about there are there's a power not a power struggle but a power dynamic oh definitely where it's okay to push the role around and say no just do what i tell you to do and shut up and i feel like from a there was a release engineer we ran into that all the time um and it's kind of funny like i i just keep bringing it up because again this is my lens on on the world uh, obviously it's just my background but it's it's interesting that you can be replacing all of these conversation or these this conversation with operations related words right where it's mm -hmm. like you know we get pulled to do the email you know the email server and we get pulled to like you know do deployments and we get you know and, and it's it's kind of the it interestingly it's the same the same sort of uh kind of thing that we talk a lot a lot about in devops um 
One thing I, I kind of wanted to bring up and ask, you know, when I, when I look at, uh, you know, the work that, that Deverell does and, and the way that you sort of see it, I think one of the big shifts that certainly we're seeing in operations, and I, I hope we're starting to see it a little more in development, but kind of on the, the sort of software development operation side is this idea that uh, hu the, the importance of humans, right? Um, and, and the importance of the role that they play in, the, in those systems. In fact, in, in human factors and system safety, Jason will will perk up at this. Uh, we call it socio-technical systems, specifically because it's a recognition that there are people involved. And what I find interesting talking, you know, back to that sort of original question about the marketing kind of versus DevRel debate and what they do and what they do differently or, or what they do similarly, what they can teach each other. It's interesting to me that, that uh, you look at the the funnel and that's sort of the core thing everybody rallies around and that's sort of very transactional and it's very sort of get people into the funnel and then track them through the funnel and whatever and that's very different than DevRel specifically from a people perspective it is about community and relationships so I find it interesting that I think as an industry we are you know that this word of, of that we are applying this this idea that it's a socio-technical system there are social aspects to people interacting that make the system work or not work in that regard i think devrel has a lot to bring to the table because it is pointing out that you can't just pour a bunch of people into a funnel have that be a good experience for them it's generally not um right because they know when they're getting sold to especially tech people and uh have them come out the other end right um, and that 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 realization, I think, um, at least from what I'm seeing, and this is like a question, I guess, for all of you, that's really part and parcel of the work you do. It's the realization. It's it's well, I was gonna, it's turtles all the way down. It's people all the way down. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, and it definitely is. And I think, I mean, that's part of the reason why it's hard, right? Is we're not we're not dealing with not to oversimplify anything, but we're not dealing with you know write this next line of code and make the website be functional kind of a deal, right? We're dealing with people, which is messy and sticky. And like, you have a hard time figuring out what works for everybody and what will work every time. And that's, you know, the inner team and inner, you know, the dynamics of, of working between departments as well mm -hmm. is you figure one thing out with one company and then you go to the next and you have to take a step back and figure it out all over again. Right. If, yeah. if if I can jump in here, I think I think it's not just you know the company itself. It's it's just the management chain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we can all say we've we've had managers who understood what we did, and we've had managers who didn't. And when you have a manager who actually understands what you do, they are way better at championing you throughout the org, especially in terms of when you have to say. I'm overloaded or this isn't right. Your manager understands what you do and they're going to back you while what the manager doesn't understand what you do. They're just sort of there to um, pat you on the head. Well, the funny thing about that is, is you just described to me, it's, it's not so much a manager that knows what you do and a manager that doesn't. It's a good manager, a competent manager versus frankly, an incompetent manager. If you have a manager that doesn't know what you do and doesn't, take any effort to figure that out and support you in that role in my mind they're just pretty incompetent at their job i, I don't i don't know I, if it was about not understanding what you do in your role i think it was more not appreciating what you do in your role even still right so so this idea where you were saying and and, and by the way i'm very passionate about this because i've had a lot of 
managers that weren't. <laughs> um, um, but, and, and so the thing is, is that though you were saying, and I've had that conversation, Greg, and it, it's, it's a painful conversation where you're like, listen, I am, I am working 60 hour weeks and I can't do any more. Can you please give me some cover? Right? And you talk about like all of the good managers that write blog posts that, you know, um, that, that, uh, you know, Camille Fournier and, and all of those people that talk about one of the, your managed job as a manager is to shield your people from that stuff. Managers who don't do that and let that stuff through for whatever reason, whether they know what you do or don't know what they do, or they respect what you do or think it should be done, whatever the issue is. If they're not doing that, they're not a very good manager. Um, this, this, I've been thinking while you were talking there, Paul, about, um, good managers versus bad managers. And I kind of want to like, cause I know we're getting close to time. I want to come kind of maybe come away with a little bit of an actionable. And, and I think at the, I think at the end of the day, you know, I'm trying to protect like my community from, from getting, you know, getting burned out because they took a, an, a job that looked good on the front, but really was just spreading, spreading them too thin and getting set up for failure. And I think that's what concerned me the most with this trend of everything being, you know, really heavily toward, towards marketing for these types of roles. And with everybody coming, you know, coming to me or coming to any of us on this, on this call, like, Hey, how do I attract good talent? How do I get, you know, some of the better dev evangelists and, you know, people that are part of that community, what advice can we give companies to, you know, put out better job descriptions and, and maybe rethink who these people roll up to and some of, some of the expectations and, and, you know, things that they're going to be responsible for. Um, like, I don't know. Does anybody have any suggestions? If we if we kind of look through the lens of of an employer's got a green field, they'd like to, you know, kind of attract some good evangelist talent. What what do those job descriptions need to look like, and who should they roll up to? I I, I always kind of give the uh, the the explanation that I got when I was working with uh, the first community team I was at, and it's kind of the idea that DevRel should be on its own. Maybe rolling up to the CTO, or you know, depending on the size of the company, someone who's in a CTO type role as part of an organization. Um, but the idea is, and, and they were very big into train metaphors, is that DevRel's job is to build the train tracks. Marketing's job is to build the station. The engineer's job is to build the train and sales job is to drive it home. And if you look at it, like that means every, all of these parts of the organization should really be interacting all the time. Like DevRel shouldn't be under anything. It should be its own thing. Um, and I, like I've recommended this to organizations looking to start in DevRel. I've recommended this to organizations that I was working for that, that you know, were hiring me for that kind of position. Um, but that's, I mean, that's not always the case. Sometimes they're like, well, we have to stay with the traditional roles of engineering, marketing, sales, product. Those are the only things we could possibly have in a technical company. Um, but hopefully that's starting to evolve a bit as we see more and more of these jobs popping up. And more and more organizations taking DevRel on as a, as a role. One of the yeah, things I mean, that I've. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, I know. I was going to say one of the things I've always recommended that might be interesting from a from a DevRel role. If you're interviewing and maybe maybe you're at the second round of interviews or whatever, and you don't you haven't talked to people from engineering or other parts mm -hmm. of the company, you know you're going to have to talk to. Like, ask, can I talk to these people as part of my interviews? And if they're like, no, nah, you don't need to talk to them. Like, that's. A that's a, a huge red. That's a huge yeah. red flag. That's a huge. Yeah. Red. So use that that interview process to actually try to talk to those other people um, that you know you're going to need to talk to, just even to see how they react to that request. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got a lot as 
probably many of you know, if you follow me on Twitter, have the newsletter or anything else, I have a lot of opinions as far as where, where the best place is for DevRel to report up to. One or um, two. One or two. Uh, similar to PJ, I think uh, ideally it's its own organization because I think that's the only way that you get your own goals that are only you and or only your team's goals versus, you know, pulled into marketing, pulled into product, pulled into engineering. Um, if you can't be on your own, I think product is probably one of the better departments because product is used to working with, with engineering, with marketing, with sales across the board, right? So there's not as much of a like, well, but you're responsible for this one thing and this one thing only. Um, the, the thing I would tell for, or tell to both people who are looking and people who are hiring is make sure that the expectations that are set out in the role are manageable. There are so many DevRel job descriptions out there these days, whether it's advocacy, whether it's community management, whether it's whatever else falls under DevRel that is, you know, well, you have to do social and you have to write and you have to speak and you have to be training internally. And by the way, you need to keep up on your technical skills so that you can have competent conversations with everybody and you're writing sample apps. It's and not just the kitchen sink. It's like the bathroom sink and exactly. the sink from the garage. And yeah. Exactly. And it's and the fruit. And the phrase, yes. right? Like, I totally understand, especially if it's a company that doesn't understand what DevRel does. And, and what that looks like, I totally understand why it ends up being all those things because they want, oh, we want someone who can do all of this stuff, right? But when you sit down and you, think about it, like that's eight different jobs right there. Right, and would you say it's also a yellow, yeah, would you say it's also a yellow flag if in that interview process you ask them what are the top three priorities from the eight things or 10 things you listed and yep. they can't tell you? Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. And for me, I've seen a couple, a couple jobs, a couple job descriptions. Sensu, actually, Matt Broberg, the, the VP of community over there, the job descriptions that they put up recently for theirs, recently being a few months ago now. Um, well, there's a like, new one a couple weeks ago. Oh, good to know. Uh, but they very explicitly said, like, here's the top things that we, we need you to be able to handle. Here's the second second list of priorities of like these might be other things that you touch, but it rely you know here's the core core competencies and core core things that we're looking for you to do. And I think splitting it up in in that way is helpful because often you get into some of those places, and I've seen this with clients too, where like do you really expect someone to do all of this? And it's like oh well no of course not, but like here's the top things, and then I I look at them and I'm like well, but you're asking me why you're not getting applicants. And you're not getting applicants because you've got eight jobs listed in this one job description and you have no priority levels or anything that indicates that you aren't intending someone to take on all of these things. Exactly. Um, and I think that is a good place to kind of jump off. Um, we are going to do the checkout section of our lovely podcast, the community pulse. Um, Mary was kind of like updating her checkout. I'm going to have you go first, Mary, because you were kind of like, <laughs> Super excited to make sure you had your checkouts ready. Putting them um, in there as we were finishing. It's also on our first. bulleted list. Oh no, Jason is first on the bulleted list. Um, let's okay, be honest. The, the best way to deal with interdepartmental uh, power dynamics is bulleted lists. <laughs> They're unordered. They don't give anybody priority. Bulleted lists. Fair. You might notice a running theme if you're if you've been listening to the last few podcasts of you know 
having things lined up and bulleted is is important you might want to say itemized lists if you're having interdynamic problems that's fair itemized lists is good especially if you're at the post office (laughs) so mary what do you have for checkouts today um, so my first one is not related to any of this at all. Um, there's a fun blog and Instagram that I've been following for a while. Um, not that I have time to do any of this right now, but it's kind of one of those like, uh, it's fun to look at and fun to think about how I might change things in my own house. So it's a, a gal named Brooke Christian um, that has a website called Nesting with Grace. And she has, she and her family, they have this small place up in uh, Connecticut. And it's just, it's fun little tips and hacks and things you can do around the house. Um, One of them is like a, she calls it a magic light that like you take the wiring and stuff out, but basically find a lampshade or a lamp that you really like and be able to just put it up on the wall so you have a lamp and put a, one of the like push on, push off lights inside of it, which I actually think I'm going to do over my desk because I hate not having a light over here. Uh, so that's, that's my like fun little go-to when I have time. Uh, and then the one that has been really, really helpful for me lately, um, and I've talked about it a little bit on my blog, but there's a, a priority hierarchy um, that this gentleman whose name I will have for you in a moment calls the yearning hierarchy, which is, I'm not a huge fan of the name, but the concept makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's this idea of prioritizing things uh, along the lines of the bookshelf. And his name is Tim Urban. Um, And the blog post that I'm linking to in the show notes is actually a really, really long blog post about like how to pick a career that fits you and how to, you know, figure out what things are important and everything else. But I've used this hierarchy over the last couple of months now to figure out, cool, what's, what are the things that are non-negotiables? What are the things that I can't compromise on? What are the things that I really want to accomplish and I want to prioritize and really go hard for? What are the things that like, yes, this has to get done, but it doesn't have to be A plus work. Um, And kind of on down from there. And so it's helped me both prioritize my days and be more productive in my days, but also keep a good perspective on, you know, here's, here's actually what needs to happen. Here are the things both in life and in my work that are the highest priorities and what I can focus on going forward. Cool. Jay, do you want to go next? Uh, sure, I go now. <clears throat> so my first one is uh, a sticker company. Everybody likes to know where to get stickers. Um, there's lots of great places, but um, these folks have come through a number of times for me. Uh, but diecutstickers.com. Uh, I was just up in Portland for Monitorama and decided pretty last minute that I wanted some kind of new stickers that were only going to be available there. And they turned it around in less than a week and, and had it drop shipped out there for me and everything. So They've saved the day for me and DevOps Days Rockies a number of times. So if you're looking for stickers, I recommend them. And then the other one um, is a book that I actually just rebought for myself while I was in Portland. I went to the Powell's bookstore and got a, another used copy of this, uh, this book that I recommend to really everybody, especially people in our industry, called Quiet. Um, the Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. Um, Everybody should read this, but definitely read this if, you, if you're one of those folks like me who you go out and you give talks and you hit the conference scene and then you got to, uh, like Greg was talking about, like hole up for a while with candy and puppies and, and uh, just block out the world for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great book. I just realized puppies as a service for conference speakers. Like if you could just like 
afterwards have like a, a, a an individualized speaker lounge where you deliver puppies to the people who have spoken with just like a Netflix flick screen up. Like, I think this would, I could make some money on this. <laughs> puppies True. as a service. I like it. Puppies as a service. Uh, Greg, you have some checkouts. Oh, yes. Now I have to go back to that screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my two checkouts. One, uh, one of my passions for the last five years has been uh, running Seattle Coder Dojo. Uh, Coder Dojo is an international association of free programming meetups and maker meetups for kids. And so if anybody listening to this wants to get involved with Coder Dojo, uh, either they have kids they want to help get some education or they want to actually help educate kids, go to zen.coderdojo.com and you can find their interactive map of existing Coder Dojos. And if there isn't one near you, do what I did and start one. Second, uh, we just got the news a little bit ago that Amazon will host uh, the revival of the Cascadia JS conference uh, in November. That's amazing. And yeah, so Carter, Carter Rabasa just put out uh, some, some teases on Twitter recently. Uh, so head on over to 2018-2018.cascadiajs.com. Sign up for the mailing list so you know when uh, new stuff is uh, announced because uh, Carter will be putting out the CFP. It's going to be an interesting CFP this year. Uh, I can't be absolutely sure, but I believe the CFP is really going to focus on people who haven't spoken at conferences before, and then there will be outreach to speakers that are known and who do good jobs, um, and so to try and create a, a very good mi mix of new up-and-coming speakers and uh, uh very well-known and uh, powerful speakers. So those are my two checkouts. Awesome. Uh, Paul, are you ready with checkouts? I am. Um, so right. uh, I, I will mention this again. Um, so actually, since we're talking about the kind of interplay between uh, people and teams and systems and socio-technical systems, um, Mary and I are, are doing a conference that actually talks about this topic uh, called Redeploy. It's in August. Um, so you can check that out at uh, re-deploy.io. Um, the CFP closes, what, in the 15th? 15th, so, yeah. So you've got yeah, a couple days. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the tagline is exploring the uh, architecture of resilient technology organizations and people, which I think there's a really kind of interesting just with the conversation we had today kind of intersection of all of those things and and especially all the things that Devrel has to care about um so we'll be talking about that at that conference so check it out if you find that interesting the other thing is i've been traveling um around europe the past couple of weeks for reasons um and uh so i like netflix shows that i can download and watch on the plane because you never know kind of what good or bad content on an airplane you're going to get um, so I've been watching, and I know it's old, but, uh, or has been around for a while, but I've been watching Nailed It, um, which is this uh, baking show um, where they have uh, people that are just home bakers, and they give them only the professional amount of time, like what it would take a professional baker to make it, mm -hmm. and then they, they show, and they say, Nailed It, and it's, of course, horrible and bad, <laughs> or it's not horrible and bad, it's actually, they do a really, really good job. So it's like six episodes, they're a half hour each. They're just like a tasty little morsel before bed. Um, and um, give it a couple episodes if you like that kind of stu stuff. It's kind of a silly baking show. It's a little less refined than like the great British baking show. Um, and the other thing, it got renewed for a se another season. So I am, I am excited. 
that is, that is <laughs> awesome. awesome. That is awesome. awesome. So I, I feel like for my checkouts, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my conference. Um, codedays.me is the website. Uh, it is a polyglot conference looking at all of the aspects of development. Similar to, if you remember, uh, Engine Yards Distill, it's kind of in the same vein, except it's in Buffalo, New York in September, not San Francisco in August. Um, but really awesome conference, and we've got an amazing lineup of speakers, and you should come check it out. Community Pulse is a community sponsor of the conference. Um, other than that, I, you know, as, as I usually do, I had an album that I was very excited about, so I'm going to share that. Um, if you are into mid to late 90s emo, um, very much part of the whole Midwest emo scene before it got all weird with Hot Topic and My Chemical Romance, uh, the Get Up Kids were, were a very big thing, uh, especially right around 99, 2000 when they came out with Something Great Home About. They have come out with a brand new EP. It's their first like uh, album of original music in quite some time, and it's called Kicker. It's available on Spotify. Uh, you can also go to their website, thegetupkids.com, to purchase a t-shirt and vinyl uh, EP package, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but I've listened to it. It's absolutely amazing. Very nostalgic for those of us who are older, but also emo for people who are over 30, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and those are my checkouts for this week. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Greg and Paul. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, always a pleasure. Yay. Yes. And everyone who's listening, thanks again for joining us for another episode of Community Pulse. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.